0: Um, as you do so, I, it's somewhat related to the message, but but not really. It's it's a bit, a bit ad hoc in in the moment. I, this past two weeks, I've um, faced what might be considered minor inconveniences, but have uh, have been major points of of frustration for me. Um, one is I was looking at. Um, uh, our phone bill, our cell phone bill that we share with uh, one of Lurissa's brothers and came to find out that it was um, more expensive than we were led to believe we just switched uh, carriers. Uh, you probably all know this story well. Um, but the promise to us from, from the sales associates was is that we traded in our phone that it, we would get a rebate every month that would cover the cost of our new phones. Um, But we came to find out after, you have to actually go through that whole process, send in the phone, sign everything, and then you find out from them, oh, actually, no, you're not getting that full price. Um, You're only getting half of what you expected. Um, And and you're just sitting there going, but they promised. (laughs) Like the sales associate said, yeah, like for sure. And then the customer service as you're talking to them over the phone, says, no, your phone, we would never give you that amount for your phone. And you just go, what in the world is happening here? The, the second thing that took place is, is that uh, a handful of months ago, um, we came outside to, to see construction workers marking up the street in front of our house you know, putting the the big orange circles and red X's and whatever else in the street. And then we get a notification from the city that they're going to be doing some water work um, out in front and dealing with all the piping that's that's there underneath the street. Well, somehow that then initiated some updates to how the the street and the cement is taken care of, and they put in two handicap um, curbs, right on the sides of our driveway, and in between those handicap curves are barely enough space for a smaller car to fit. Well then, on Wednesday morning, as I'm taking a shower, I look outside and see that there's a construction worker out front, and he's mixing red paint in the back of his truck. And I go outside to find him now painting The curb in front of our driveway red, and they say, "Well, from the handicap park uh, little curb there, you actually have to have a red marking of nine feet, and then you're left with available parking enough for a tricycle." And I'm furious, and I, I I've left. I called the project manager and left a voicemail, and I called my council member and I've left left a voicemail, and and I'm even as I'm leaving this voicemail, there's this point in which is like, they're gonna find out this is church property eventually, and it's just like I know I sound frustrated, but here's you know what the heart is behind this, and I'm just you know, all that to say, these two instances have just left me felt like feeling taken advantage of. I just feel like I've been been outmaneuvered <laughs> and and just left in the place of going, "Man, that just doesn't feel right." It doesn't feel fair. And I don't know, I just was this this morning's message is is on my mind. Um, we're going to be talking about Jacob and Esau and a li- and lives that are marked by by wrestling. By by rivalry, by tension, by frustration, by being taken advantage of. And I think that as just in that place of of worship and just felt in my own space, going, man, there are even very real instances that might feel minor, but definitely need to be a space in which I bring before the Lord and say, Help me to process through the places in which I am dealing with turmoil and tension. And frustration and feeling taken advantage of. There's a fascinating passage in the Old Testament found in Genesis chapter 27. Esau stands before his father begging for a blessing. Don't you have one more to give? Esau begs of his father. Esau was a twin He was the stronger of the two, an outdoorsman and a skillful hunter. Important to know, he was his father's favorite son. Why was Esau his father's favorite son? Because his father enjoyed the wild game that Esau brought home. He was his father's favorite simply because he could hunt and he could grill. It's completely unhealthy. It's a self-censored reason. I like you for what you can do for me. And I know it's appalling, but it's just yet another example of Scripture giving us a picture and not hiding the blemishes of humanity. So why is the older brother, who is favored by his father, begging for a blessing? Well, because his younger brother was also skilled. Rather than hunting wild animals, he preyed on people through his wiliness. Genesis chapter 27 is just one more instant where Esau's brother Jacob outmaneuvered people to get what he wanted. But let's back up a little bit further. Let's go back down in their family timeline to give a little bit of context of what's happening in the sibling rivalry. We read in Genesis chapter 25 that these brothers were fierce rivals since inside of the womb they were marked by wrestling. Here's what we're told, that when they were in in their mother's womb, she was extremely concerned about what was happening inside of her. Obviously, during this time that there was no ultrasounds, there was no ability to figure out that she had twins. But she comes to the Lord before before the Lord in prayer and, and says, God, what is happening inside of me? And the word from the Lord says this, the sons in your womb will become two nations, From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. Even at the moment of their birth, we get a picture of their constant warring. Esau was born first. He was burly. He was covered in hair like he was wearing a fur coat. Jacob was born second but he was born holding the ankle of his brother, and that's how he got his name. In a clever play with words, his parents give him a name that sounds like heel or deceiver. I wrestled in high school, and I coached a bit afterwards. My favorite move was called the ankle pick. And here's what you would do is as you were jostling for arm and head position, what you would end up doing is that as you were distracting them by messing with their heads in their arms, suddenly what you would do is you'd with one hand grab a hold of the back of their neck, bring them down so that all of their weight was on one leg, and then you would with the other hand put your hand behind their heel. In that moment, you would push with everything that you had on their head so that it would huge eyes, they would fly backwards and land on their back. And if you did it just right, if you timed it perfectly, what you would end up doing in this ankle pick is that as they were flying backwards, you were flying forward, landing in a pin position. Jacob came out of the womb second but he's holding Esau's heel, his ankle. And it's a foreshadowing for how in their rivalry, Jacob will constantly outmatch, outwit his brother. Let me take a quick aside to talk about sibling sibling rivalry. One of the major themes in Scripture is sibling rivalry. After the fall of Adam and Eve, we read of their sons' conflict. Cain was filled with rage and anger. He desired, with everything within him, to kill his brother. Sibling rivalry, particularly in the Old Testament, fills the pages of the Bible. Thanks to Scripture's use, use of genealogies, what we discover is that the warring nations that are constantly filling the pages of Scripture are actually confined their roots in brothers that did not get along. In our own families, our hearts break at the vileness and anger that we see siblings treat each other with. Sibling rivalry becomes one of the descriptions of how humanity relates with one another. People that are at odds, people that are warring, people that are in conflict, people that are in tension, people that are in turmoil with one another. I like the way that Tim Mackey worded it. Humans do selfish stuff, and then we don't want to be around each other anymore. But sibling rivalry is at odds with the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we are meant to be aware of the richness and depths of God's mercy and grace, both for ourselves and for our brother. God's kingdom is not marked by rivalry, but self-sacrificing love. Loving people well becomes the marker of mature spirituality. We then are people who are patient, who are humble, who are kind, who are generous. We're not marked by conflict, but we are marked by rest and peace. We recognize that God's blessings are abundant So there is no need for jostling. There's no need for fighting for supremacy. We aren't rivals. We actually root for the flourishing and blessing of our brothers. Let's go back to to Jacob and Esau. We'll move a little bit further in Genesis chapter 25, but not all the way into Genesis 27 yet. When they were older, Esau came home from spending the day hunting. Jacob was in the kitchen. He was making stew, a lentil stew. Esau was famished, and he makes a request of his brother. Knowing brother, it was much more likely that it was a demand of him. Give me some of that stew. In this moment, Jacob sees that his stronger brother is in a vulnerable position. He doesn't see someone to care for. He sees his brother as someone he can take advantage of. His attitude is unbrotherliness. All right, I'll give you some stew. And in that moment, I I could see Esau's head kind of tilting a little bit to the side, confused. Why is Jacob being generous here? Why did he actually agree to give me some stew? He's likely in this place of going, wait a minute, something's off. He's being kind to me. And Jacob's words likely fill in the gaps for Esau, because the very next words that he says are essentially this. All right, I'll give you some stew, but let's make a trade here. We'll swap. I'll give you some lentil stew, and you give me your rights as firstborn son. Esau agrees to the terms. He makes a lopsided trade as if he's the GM of the Chargers. Esau treats his standing as firstborn son with contempt. He trades his birthright for beans. Time passes, and we arrive at this fascinating passage in the Old Testament. Here we see family dysfunction fully on display. Because traditionally, when patriarchs are on their deathbed, they gather all of their sons to pray a blessing over each one of them, but not Isaac. What Isaac does is he summons, secretly summons, his favorite son, Esau. Esau, come over here so that I might pray a blessing over you. Go out, go hunt then bring me a meal and I'll pray a blessing over you. But the conspiring of Isaac and Esau doesn't stay confined to them. Their mom, Jacob and Esau's mom, Rebecca, overhears the plotting that's taking place. And she calls out to her favorite son, Jacob. Jacob, here's what we are going to do. I want you to go to our flock. And there in the flock, I want you to take two good goats. The Hebrew word is tov. I want you to go take two good goats. We'll prepare a meal and we will give that meal to your father, Isaac. Then when you have that, when he has that meal, then he will give you a blessing. Rebecca and Jacob conspire to seize blessing from their own power and strength. And it completely fractures the family. If you didn't catch it, it absolutely mirrors The story of Adam and Eve, where Eve saw a good fruit. The Hebrew word is tov. And she took that fruit and she gave it to her husband, attempting to seize blessing under her own strength. Family dysfunction just continuing to go from line to line. When wrestling was happening in her womb, Rebecca received a word from the Lord. Do you remember it? The older son will serve the younger son. Rebecca knew. Rebecca received a word from God Jacob will be blessed jacob will be taken care of jacob will be the one that gets the inheritance but that word from god wasn't enough for her she actually she had to take things in her own power The brother's scuffling doesn't stay confined to just them. Mom and dad are now maneuvering against each other. I wonder. I wonder if Rebecca shared that word from God with her husband Isaac. I received a word from God. He said that the older brother will serve the younger brother he said that the strong one would serve the weak one. And I wonder if when she gave birth and they saw that it was true that there were twins inside of the womb, thus proving the Lord's word to be correct, I wonder if in that moment there was turmoil inside of Isaac's heart. I wonder if part of his favoring of Esau and his despising of Jacob was because of the hostility within his own heart that God wasn't doing things like he expected God to do things. Regardless, if she shared that word or not, Rebecca, it still instructs Jacob to go. Jacob is worried that he'll get caught because he isn't hairy like his brother. So Rebecca covers him in goat's hair and Esau's clothing. Isaac, at this point, his his vision is going fuzzy. Don't forget about Esau, he's still out hunting. And while he's out hunting, Jacob approaches Isaac with a meal and dressed as his brother. The story goes on to describe that Jacob is maneuvering with his father. He's wrestling with him. He's sparring with him. He's trying to get Isaac to believe that he's actually Esau. As Jacob is attempting to convince his father that he's actually his brother, he leans in to give his father a kiss, and there Isaac catches a whiff of Jacob's clothes. And the Bible gives us Isaac's words Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. And I wonder, I wonder if those words stabbed Jacob in the heart. Because what we're told about Jacob is that he was a quiet man who preferred to stay indoors. Jacob is in being embraced and blessed by his dad because he's acting like his older brother family wounds and dysfunction fully on display here but Jacob has done it again amongst a family of deceivers he is the chief deceiver the one He he obtains his father's blessing, the one his father intended for his older brother. And as Jacob is exiting, Esau is entering the house. He prepares a meal, he brings it to his father, he tells his dad, it's your son, it's your son Esau. And Isaac trembles, realizing the scheming of Jacob. Esau stands before his father begging for a blessing. Don't you have one more to give? Isaac informs him that no, Jacob has taken his blessing. Then he speaks these words over Esau, and I'm not so sure that you would describe these words as a blessing. You will live away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by your sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. It's a prophetic word for the descendants of Jacob and Esau, but it's also a word that will play out in their own lives. Esau is the strong one, the outdoorsman, the skillful hunter, but Jacob was better at wrestling. Esau was the burly one, the wild man, but really he's the weak one. He's crushed by the weight of his younger brother. He's broken by the scheming of Jacob, and his brute strength won't, his brute strength won't ever be enough to carry the yoke placed upon his shoulders. Try and try as he might, the skilled man could never get the upper hand so now esau lives angry he's described as a schemer he's planning his brother's death his heart's desire is to murder jacob and esau's inner turmoil his rejection, his being outmaneuvered, it breeds a deep hate and violence that mirrors that of Cain. See, this word over Esau is intriguing. In one sense, you could see it as a saying that the breaking free would happen when Esau kills his brother. But it actually seems more likely that the word to Esau is that you don't need to live with the hate that has overtaken your heart. And again, it mirrors the word that the Lord spoke to Cain. Cain, sin crouches at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Esau, you're angry. Esau, you have been wronged. Esau, yes, others are experiencing good while having bad character. And you don't have the ability to control others, but what you do have choice in is the yoke that is over your shoulders. You don't have to live with the weight that you're carrying. And I wonder if Jesus' words to us about the yoke that's upon our shoulders is meant to point us a little bit to the story of Jacob and Esau. Do you hear Jesus' words? Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. You don't. You don't have to keep on wearing the weight of being wronged, of being taken advantage of, of not being strong enough. You don't have to carry that weight, but you have a choice. When you're ready, when you're ready, you can break free from that yoke. Rebecca hears about Esau's plan to kill Jacob, so she finds a way to get Jacob to live with, with her brother, Laban. Esau and Jacob's stories depart for a bit, but they're still on a collision course. All I'll say in this moment is that while they're apart, Esau marries his cousin on his dad's side as an attempt to get his dad's approval. Jacob schemes and jostles against his uncle Laban, and he marries his cousins on his mom's side. After all of that takes place, Jacob flees his uncle and heads back to the land of his father and relatives. Knowing he's heading back to his father's land, he sends word to his brother that he's coming back, and he hopes that Esau will treat him friendly, kindly. Word comes back to Jacob. Esau heard that you're coming back home, and he's coming to pay a visit to you. So Jacob prays. He prays to God for help. You said, you said that you'd bless me. My brother's coming against me. But he also sends a whole bunch of gifts ahead of him to his brother Esau. Scripture tells us what Jacob's scheming thoughts are. I will try to appease him by sending gifts ahead of me. And that night, everything changes. Jacob's family travels a bit ahead and Jacob is alone in the camp. As he's alone, a mysterious man appears and they start wrestling. They wrestled until dawn began to break. When this mysterious man saw that Jacob would not give up, with a touch of his hand, he rinses Jacob's hip out of its socket then he asks to be let go Jacob maybe with the same smile and smirk that he gave to Esau says I'll let go of you if you bless me in an astonishing history-making moment the mysterious man changes Jacob's name to Israel and he also lets him know you have wrestled with man and with God and you've won. It's there that Jacob realizes that he's had an encounter with God, and he's had an encounter with God's mercy. Now he walks with a limp. His wrestling days are over. God, the divine chiropractor, gives Jacob a limp to bring his heart into alignment. In the morning, when it's time to meet his brother, Jacob doesn't deceive. He doesn't scheme. He limps right up to his brother and he bows down in an act of affection and brotherliness. We're not informed what happens in Esau's life from the time he was scheming from his brother's death up to this point. But in the morning, he runs To his brother some scholars point to this as a place in which jesus is alluding to when he tells the story of the prodigal son esau runs to his brother no longer having the yoke of his brother over his shoulders now jacob feels the weight of his brother's affectionate arms wrapped around him in a bear hug D.A. Carson describes the story of Jacob and Esau with these words. It is a story of a family broken by feuding, whose members meet God in their distress and eventually achieve reconciliation. The grace of God breaks the yoke hanging over our shoulders. The grace of God persuades us away from the place of rivalry and to the place of reconciliation. Under the yoke of Jesus, we learn that being his disciple means the ability to love others. We become capable of dealing with the bitterness, pain, brokenness, and hostility that exists within us. In the name of Jesus, we are able to break free from the places of unhealthy that reside within us. Let me close to you by reading a little story, a much shorter story. It says this. In a classic TED talk, Margaret Heffernan tells the story about an experiment conducted by a Purdue University professor involving chickens. The concept was simple enough. He took two groups of chickens and counted the number of eggs they produced over six generations. One group he left alone to live life as normal. He did nothing to disrupt the breeding or the culture, and just let nature take its course. The the other group was composed of what Margaret calls super chickens. These were the top performing chickens from each generation. The results were interesting, to say the least. The group that was left to themselves saw a dramatic increase in production over the six generations it was allowed to function. The group of top performers saw its production drop dramatically. In fact, only three of them survived. The rest were pecked to death by the others. The experiment revealed that the so-called super-chickens achieved their status as top performers by pecking at other chickens and keeping their production low. She said the super-chickens elevated their production in comparison to the others by suppressing their output. In reality, these super-chickens were more aptly named predator-chickens. In the kingdom of God, we do not get ahead by scheming or deception. We do not get ahead by pecking at others. Love, love is our ethic. Jacob and Esau went from rivalry to genuinely rejoicing over the wealth and flourishing of one another. Here's what I hope you take away from this morning. Be healthy. Deal with your rivalry and your turmoil with others. Deal with your family dysfunction and don't let it continue through you. Seek reconciliation always. And out of of the place of knowing God's mercy in your own life, rejoice over and encourage the flourishing of others. As we turn to communion, the ethic that Jesus gives his followers, love each other as I have loved you. and he washes the disciples' feet. And in doing so, one of the major things that Jesus is confronting is sibling rivalry. Is, is a people who act out of selfishness, who are only focused on their own flourishing, who operate out of a place of unhealth. And he teaches us to be like him. Be a people that are healthy, that know his ways, that seek to serve and not be served. Because the mercy of God has flowed through your life because you've come before him and you have wrestled with him. You've jostled with God and there in that place of wrestling with him, you've seen him deal with all of your places of unhealth. And from that point forward, you can treat people differently. From that point forward, you can actually live a life that is defined by love. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Friends, would you take the bread and the cup? Worship team, if you would. Join me back on stage. So Father, we again say, may our lives be built upon you. We pray that you will continue to do that good work where you make us more and more like your son, Jesus. Father, I hope and pray that, that this morning that we'd come before you and we'd say, Lord, the yoke, the burdens that we carry, we lay down at your feet. And Lord, we pray that you would do a work of healing. Continue to lay your yoke upon us, one that is light and that is easy. Help us to be a people that know you and know your ways. Again, we pray, Father, teach us to be like your son, Jesus. So we pray that in your name. Amen? Amen. Let's enter back into song together.
1: Would you stand and join us as we head back into worship? Christ uh. darkness seems to hide his face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high, in every high and stormy gate,
0: Church, before before we go, a few announcements um, for you. One is is that we're getting closer to to Holy Week, which obviously is um, a great point of of celebration and excitement for us as a community. Uh, We will be hosting a Good Friday service here um, in the Worship Center at 7 p.m. That is on Friday, Good Friday. Uh, We'd love for you to join us for that. We are hosting our Easter egg hunt. Um, at Cabrillo Heights Park and the request to you this morning is this if you plan on serving at that event please sign up today because what that will do it will give us information on our capacity to host the event and what elements we have in hosting that event as a community Um, so, so please sign up today and that again will let us know how our planning will play out which we absolutely need to finalize this week. If you're watching us online, um, you likely received an email from Pastor Larissa this past week that gave you a link uh, to sign up. There is an online form that you could sign up there. And then our Easter gathering will be on Easter Sunday here in the Worship Center at 10 a.m. Parents, like, to let you know, it is severe San Diego weather out there. Um, actually, because it's misting, um, the kids are indoors. Um, they're actually inside. So when you go to pick up your children, uh, you go walk directly to the classroom um, that, they are, uh, that they were dropped off at this morning. Um, and then as a community, we'll be gathered uh, downstairs, maybe sheltering over, under the overhang of, um, of the courtyard there, or actually hang out in the Fellowship Center. Uh, for those that are joining um, Emotionally Healthy Relationships tonight, we will send an email Uh, this afternoon, looking at the weather, letting you know whether or not we will be indoors or outdoors with our heaters. Um, Just more as an FYI, we'll give you that, that heads up there. All right, well, church, before you go, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Love you, church. We'll see you downstairs.